chapter seventy one of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter seventy one fiat justitia the dinner was served when arthur returned and lady rockminster began to scold him for arriving late but laura looking at her cousin saw that his face was so pale and scared that she interrupted her imperious patroness and asked with tender alarm what had happened was arthur ill arthur drank a large bumper of sherry i have heard the most extraordinary news i will tell you afterwards he said looking at the servants he was very nervous and agitated during the dinner don't tramp and beat so with your feet under the table lady rockminster said you have trodden on fido and upset his saucer you see mr warrington keeps his boots quiet at the dessert it seemed as if the unlucky dinner would never be over lady rockminster said this dinner has been exceedingly stupid i suppose something has happened and that you want to speak to laura i will go and have my nap i am not sure that i shall have any tea no good-night mr warrington you must come again and when there is no business to talk about and the old lady tossing up her head walked away from the room with great dignity george and the others had risen with her and warrington was about to go away and was saying good-night to laura who of course was looking much alarmed about her cousin when arthur said pray stay george you should hear my news too and give me your counsel in this case i hardly know how to act in it it's something about blanche arthur said laura her heart beating and her cheek blushing as she thought it had never blushed in her life yes and the most extraordinary story said pen when i left you to go to my uncle's lodgings i found his servant morgan who has been with him so long at the door and he said that he and his master had parted that morning that my uncle had quitted the house and had gone to an hotel this hotel i asked for him when i came in but he was gone out to dinner morgan then said that he had something of a most important nature to communicate to me and begged me to step into the house his house it is now it appears the scoundrel has saved a great deal of money whilst in my uncle's service and is now a capitalist and a millionaire for what i know well i went into the house and what do you think he told me this must be a secret between us all at least if we can keep it now that it is in possession of that villain blanche's father is not dead he has come to life again the marriage between clavering and the begum is no marriage and blanche i suppose is her grandfather's heir said warrington perhaps but the child of what a father amory is an escaped convict clavering knows it my uncle knows it and it was with this piece of information held over clavering in terrorem that the wretched old man got him to give up his burrow to me blanche doesn't know it said laura nor poor lady clavering no said pen blanche does not even know the history of her father she knew that he and her mother had separated and had heard as a child from bonner her nurse that mr amory was drowned in new south wales he was there as a convict not as a ship's captain as the poor girl thought lady clavering has told me that they were not happy 
and that her husband was a bad character she would tell me all she said some day and i remember her saying to me with tears in her eyes that it was hard for a woman to be forced to own that she was glad to hear her husband was dead and that twice in her life she should have chosen so badly what is to be done now the man can't show and claim his wife death is probably over him if he discovers himself return to transportation certainly but the rascal has held the thread of discovery over clavering for some time past and has extorted money from him time after time it is our friend colonel altamont of course said warrington i see all now if the rascal comes back continued arthur morgan who knows his secret will use it over him and having it in his possession proposes to extort money from us all the dastard rascal supposed i was cognizant of it said pen white with anger asked me if i would give him an annuity to keep it quiet threatened me me as if i was trafficking with this wretched old begum's misfortune and would extort a seat in parliament out of that miserable clavering good heavens was my uncle mad to tamper in such a conspiracy fancy our mother's son laura trading on such a treason i can't fancy it dear arthur said laura seizing arthur's hand and kissing it no broke out warrington's deep voice with a tremor he surveyed the two generous and loving young people with a pang of indescribable love and pain no our boy can't meddle with such a wretched intrigue as that arthur pendennis can't marry a convict's daughter and sit in parliament as member for the hulks you must wash your hands of the whole affair pen you must break off you must give no explanations of why and wherefore but state that family reasons render a match impossible it is better that those poor women should fancy you false to your word than that they should know the truth besides you can get from that dog clavering i can fetch that for you easily enough an acknowledgment that the reasons which you have given to him as the head of the family are amply sufficient for breaking off the union don't you think with me laura he scarcely dared to look her in the face as he spoke any lingering hope that he might have any feeble hold that he might feel upon the last spar of his wrecked fortune he knew he was casting away and he let the wave of his calamity close over him pen had started up whilst he was speaking looking eagerly at him he turned his head away he saw laura rise up also and go to pen and once more take his hand and kiss it she thinks so too god bless her said george her father's shame is not blanche's fault dear arthur is it laura said very pale and speaking very quickly suppose you had been married would you desert her because she had done no wrong are you not pledged to her would you leave her because she is in misfortune and if she is unhappy wouldn't you console her our mother would had she been here and as she spoke the kind girl folded her arms round him and buried her face upon his heart our mother is an angel with god pen sobbed out and you are the dearest and best of women the dearest the dearest and the best teach me my duty pray for me that i may do it pure heart god bless you god bless you my sister amen groaned out warrington with his head in his hands 
she is right he murmured to himself she can't do any wrong i think that girl indeed she looked and smiled like an angel many a day after he saw that smile saw her radiant face as she looked up at pen saw her putting back her curls blushing and smiling and still looking fondly towards him she leaned for a moment her little fair hand on the table playing on it and now and now she said looking at the two gentlemen and what now asked george and now we will have some tea said miss laura with her smile but before this unromantic conclusion to a rather sentimental scene could be suffered to take place a servant brought word that major pendennis had returned to the hotel and was waiting to see his nephew upon this announcement laura not without some alarm and an appealing look to pen which said behave yourself well hold to the right and do your duty be gentle but firm with your uncle laura we say with these warnings written in her face took leave of the two gentlemen and retreated to her dormitory warrington who was not generally fond of tea yet grudged that expected cup very much why could not old pendennis have come in an hour later well an hour sooner or later what matter the hour strikes at last the inevitable moment comes to say farewell the hand is shaken the door closed and the friend gone and the brief joy over you are alone in which of those many windows of the hotel does her light beam perhaps he asks himself as he passes down the street he strides away to the smoking-room of a neighbouring club and there applies himself to his usual solace of a cigar men are brawling and talking loud about politics opera girls horse-racing the atrocious tyranny of the committee bearing this sacred secret about him he enters into this brawl talk away each louder than the other rattle and crack jokes laugh and tell your wild stories it is strange to take one's place and part in the midst of the smoke and din and think every man here has his secret ego most likely which is sitting lonely and apart away in the private chamber from the loud game in which the rest of us is joining arthur as he traversed the passages of the hotel felt his anger rousing up within him he was indignant to think that yonder old gentleman whom he was about to meet should have made him such a tool and puppet and so compromised his honour and good name the old fellow's hand was very cold and shaky when arthur took it he was coughing he was grumbling over the fire froge could not bring his dressing-gown or arrange his papers as that darned confounded impudent scoundrel of a morgan the old gentleman bemoaned himself and cursed morgan's ingratitude with peevish pathos the confounded impudent scoundrel he was drunk last night and challenged me to fight him pen and begat at one time i was so excited that i thought i should have driven a knife into him and the infernal rascal has made ten thousand pound i believe and deserves to be hanged and will be but curse him i wish he could have lasted out my time he knew all my ways and damn me when i rang the bell the confounded thief brought the thing i wanted not like that stupid german lout and what sort of time have you had in the country been a good deal with lady rockminster you can't do better she is one of the old school vieille ecole 
bonne école eh dammy they don't make gentlemen and ladies now and in fifty years you'll hardly know one man from another but they'll last my time i ain't long for this business i'm getting a very old pen my boy and gad i was thinking to-day as i was packing up my little library there's a bible amongst the books that belong to my poor mother i would like you to keep that pen i was thinking sir that you would most likely open the box when it was your property and the old fellow was laid under the sod sir and the major coughed and wagged his old head over the fire his age his kindness disarmed pen's anger somewhat and made arthur feel no little compunction for the deed which he was about to do he knew that the announcement which he was about to make would destroy the darling hope of the old gentleman's life and create in his breast a woeful anger and commotion hey hey i'm off sir nodded the elder but i'd like to read a speech of yours in the times before i go mr pendennis said unaccustomed as i am to public speaking hey sir hey arthur begad you look devilish well and healthy sir i always said my brother jack would bring the family right you must go down into the west and buy the old estate sir neck tenui penna hey we'll rise again sir rise again on the wing and begad i shouldn't be surprised that you will be a baronet before you die his words smote pen and it is i he thought that am going to fling down the poor old fellow's air-castle well it must be here goes i i went into your lodgings at berry street though i did not find you pen slowly began and i talked with morgan uncle indeed the old gentleman's cheek began to flush involuntarily and he muttered the cat's out of the bag now begad he told me a story sir which gave me the deepest surprise and pain said pen the major tried to look unconcerned what that story about about what do you call him hey about miss amory's father about lady clavering's first husband and who he is and what hem a devilish awkward affair said the old man rubbing his nose i i've been aware of that a eh? confounded circumstance for some time i wish i had known it sooner or not at all said arthur gloomily he is all safe thought the senior greatly relieved gad i should have liked to keep it from you altogether and from those two poor women who are as innocent as unborn babes in the transaction you are right there is no reason why the two women should hear it and i shall never tell them though that villain morgan perhaps may arthur said gloomily he seems disposed to trade upon his secret and has already proposed terms of ransom to me i wish i had known of the matter earlier sir it is not a very pleasant thought to me that i am engaged to a convict's daughter the very reason why i kept it from you my dear boy but miss amory is not a convict's daughter don't you see miss amory is the daughter of lady clavering with fifty or sixty thousand pounds for a fortune and her father-in-law a baronet and country gentleman of high reputation approves of the match and gives up his seat in parliament to his son-in-law what can be more simple is it true sir begad yes it is true of course it's true amory's dead i tell you he is dead the first sign of life he shows he is dead he can't appear we have him at a deadlock like the fellow in the play the critic eh devilish amusing play that critic monstrous witty man sheridan and so was his son by gad sir when i was at the cape i remember the old gentleman's garrulity and wished to conduct arthur to the cape perhaps 
arose from a desire to avoid the subject which was nearest his nephew's heart but arthur broke out interrupting him if you had told me this tale sooner i believe you would have spared me and yourself a great deal of pain and disappointment and i should not have found myself tied to an engagement from which i can't in honour recede no begad we've fixed you and a man who's fixed to a seat in parliament and a pretty girl with a couple of thousand a year is fixed to no bad thing let me tell you said the old man great heavens sir said arthur are you blind can't you see see what young gentleman asked the other see that rather than trade upon this secret of amory's arthur cried out i would go and join my father-in-law at the hulks see that rather than take a seat in parliament as a bribe from clavering for silence i would take the spoons off the table see that you have given me a felon's daughter for a wife doomed me to poverty and shame cursed my career when it might have been when it might have been so different but for you don't you see that we have been playing a guilty game and have been overreached that in offering to marry this poor girl for the sake of her money and the advancement she would bring i was degrading myself and prostituting my honour what in heaven's name do you mean sir cried the old man i mean to say that there is a measure of baseness which i can't pass arthur said i have no other words for it and am sorry if they hurt you i have felt for months past that my conduct in this affair has been wicked sordid and worldly i am rightly punished by the event and having sold myself for money and a seat in parliament by losing both how do you mean that you lose either shrieked the old gentleman who the devil's to take your fortune or your seat away from you by god clavering shall give em to you you shall have every shilling of eighty thousand pounds i'll keep my promise to miss amory sir said arthur and begad her parents shall keep theirs to you not so please god arthur answered i have sinned but heaven help me i will sin no more i will let clavering off from that bargain which was made without my knowledge i will take no money with blanche but that which was originally settled upon her and i will try to make her happy you have done it you have brought this on me sir but you knew no better and i forgive arthur in god's name and your father's who by heavens was the proudest man alive and had the honour of the family always at heart in mine for the sake of a poor broken-down old fellow who has always been devilish fond of you don't fling this chance away i pray you i beg you i implore you my dear dear boy don't fling this chance away it's the making of you you're sure to get on you'll be a baronet it's three thousand a year damn me on my knees there i beg you of you don't do this and the old man actually sank down on his knees and seizing one of arthur's hands looked up piteously at him it was cruel to remark the shaking hands the wrinkled and quivering face the old eyes weeping and winking the broken voice ah sir said arthur with a groan you have brought pain enough on me spare me this you have wished me to marry blanche i marry her for god's sake sir rise i can't bear it you you mean to say that you will take her as a beggar and be one yourself said the old gentleman rising up and coughing violently 
i look at her as a person to whom a great calamity has befallen and to whom i am promised she cannot help the misfortune and as she had my word when she was prosperous i shall not withdraw it now she is poor i will not take clavering's seat unless afterwards it should be given of his free will i will not have a shilling more than her original fortune have the kindness to ring the bell said the old gentleman i have done my best and said my say and i am a devilish old fellow and and it don't matter and and shakespeare was right and cardinal wolsey begad and had i but served my god as i have served you yes on my knees by jove to my own nephew i mightn't have been good-night sir you needn't trouble yourself to call again arthur took his hand which the old man left to him it was quite passive and clammy he looked very much oldened and it seemed as if the contest and defeat had quite broken him on the next day he kept his bed and refused to see his nephew End of chapter seventy one